Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me for the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish. Crohn's Warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Teresa Spies, the Community Director for the South Texas Chapter of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. She's here to talk in-depth about all the patient-driven initiatives, research, educational programs, and activities for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Teresa, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm so honored that you asked me to be here. I'm honored to have you. Thank you. So before we get started, I want to introduce you a little more to our listeners. You've been with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation for almost three years now. And before that, you spent the majority of your working life in fundraising and nonprofits. So you spent three years at the American Red Cross, worked for the Greater San Antonio Chamber of Commerce, and spent time in the development office for Texas Lutheran University, which is also your alma mater. Why don't you start by telling me about how you became involved with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation and a little bit about the work that you do there. Sure. So I, like you said, have been in nonprofit for almost my entire career. It's really something that um, I feel really passionate about, and I have always been able to be attached to organizations that I'm personally connected to, but this is the very first organization where I have family members that are directly living with this disease, impacted every day. And so when the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation was looking for a professional fundraiser to help build their Central Texas activities and serve the patients in this area better, I just really jumped on it. And like you said, I've been with the foundation since spring of 2016, and it's just been an amazing experience. I love it here. Um, that's great. And you've been, you've been such an asset. You have so much passion. Every time I see you and at an event and when I first met you, you just had so much passion about the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation and so much passion that I had to get involved too. <laughs> well, thank you. It really is driven by volunteers. We're the largest volunteer organization in the country that's focused solely on Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And so basically almost everyone I meet is connected to this cause because of somebody they love. And for me, that's my uncle who mm -hmm. lives 10 minutes away from me. I'm not his direct caregiver. I'm not living in the same household as he is, but I um, can kind of measure my big life events based on whether he was able to be there or not because of his health. And I know that so many people, almost one in a hundred Americans, are living with this disease, and it's just important that we shine a spotlight on it. Yeah, and it's really amazing. I think I came across a website for World IBD Day, and they actually said worldwide the numbers are 10 million people that have Crohn's and colitis, some form of IBD. So it's staggering numbers. Yeah, it's really shocking, and most of those are in the Western um, countries of the, of the world. Um, it seems to be a very westernized disease. Um, the CDC has run a report, and we're 
can, we, we've reported about 1.6 million Americans, and mm -hmm. based on this new information, it could be um, closer to 3 million Americans. So like I said, it's between um, every 1 in 200 and 1 mm -hmm. in 100 Americans living with this disease. And again, that's just the patients, not just not even the people that are touched by them like I am. Yeah. Um, across the foundation, our staff is probably about a third patients themselves, a third folks like me who are um, touched by the disease in one way or another through a loved one, and then about a third people who are nonprofit workers who come to the foundation and then eventually, just like anyone, um, once you get involved, you, you meet so many amazing people, patients, particularly young young patients diagnosed mm -hmm. early that um, just make you make you want to keep going forever until we find a cure. Yeah, definitely. Well, one thing I've been wondering about that I'm not sure if you can answer, but I know it was just a few years ago that the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation changed its name from Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America to Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Do you know what the reason behind that for and a little bit about that? I do. That's a great question. It's kind of some insider knowledge here. So for the first 50 years of our organization, we'll scratch that. We've had different iterations of the name. We, we had ileitis and different iterations throughout the years. But um, for the past few years, we had been the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, as you said, mm -hmm. always seemed to be shortened to the acronym CCFA which mm -hmm. means nothing. Like, that, <laughs> if you just get buried in an acronym, that, that means nothing to the people, but that's not really a, a brand. Um, a, our logo was stuck in the 70s, yeah. and so we needed a refresh anyway. And at the time um, at, of our 50th anniversary as an organization, because we were founded in September of 1967 in New York, that's where our headquarters still is, mm -hmm. um, so last year we hit our 50th anniversary and we we refreshed everything and took that of America off and now we are strictly the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. We don't use the acronym CCF. We are just the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, and that forces everybody talking about us to us us ourselves to speak the name of mm -hmm. the diseases that we are fighting for. So um, it's not. We didn't take off of America because we came. We became an international nonprofit. We still operate all of our chapters are in America, mm -hmm. but it is a happy coincidence because we are a very sophisticated organization and partnering more and more with research organizations across the globe, mm -hmm. other nonprofits that are collaborators with us that are aligned with our goals. So it is a happy coincidence that. Nope, we have the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. We've got to say those diseases, Crohn's and Colitis. Mm -hmm. Every time we talk about it, we want the media saying our name. Every time we have an event, we want it on that page. Um, we are all about building awareness. That's a great move. And it does actually just sound more inclusive just by taking the Of America off. But I do, I love that it forces people to actually say, Crohn's and colitis, because even though people might question, well, what does the acronym mean? If people don't know what Crohn's and colitis are, they're more likely to ask what those words mean as opposed to just an acronym that could go, you know, not pay much attention to. Absolutely. I love wearing my name tag or my, 
my foundation t-shirts around town or to the gym and having people stop me and say, I know somebody with colitis or what's that? Mm -hmm. This is an education opportunity and an awareness builder. So that is great. So before we jump into the programs and everything that's involved in the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, can you tell me just a little bit about the mission in case people don't know what that is? Absolutely. I love our mission. It is twofold. So the mission of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation is to find a cure for Crohn's and Colitis and to improve the lives of children and adults living with these diseases. So it is twofold. We are in it to win it. We're here to find a cure. But in the meantime, we want to support and educate and provide resources for people who are in it right now living the day-to-day life of a patient or or the caregivers who are often very much impacted as well. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go ahead and talk about some of the the research and things that are going on now, because I know when I first, you know, I first got diagnosed in 2006, and I came across the the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. And I don't know if I was just too overwhelmed at the time and too focused on what was happening and what I didn't know. And I think in hindsight, what I missed was all these opportunities that is that are available through the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, and even learning about a lot of the research and what's going on. So I've kind of been in the dark all this time. And, and that's why I was so excited once I started talking with you and learning more about what is happening. So one of the things that really piqued my interest was the research initiatives that the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation is doing. And, and you were just talking to me a little bit about some of the microbiome and environmental factors and things like that. So can you go into a little bit about what some of the research initiatives are currently? Absolutely. I will do my best. I am not a researcher. <laughs> Neither <laughs> am I. <laughs> I really encourage people to, to visit our website, Crohn'sColitisFoundation.org slash research. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a timeline of, we have been involved in, every advancement in the last 50 years. And so that's something that I really am proud of. I really believe in this organization and the, the mission that we have and the fact that we, are again, are twofold and doing things on the ground but also looking forward with this research. So um, I'm going to give some umbrella descriptions of some of the types of research we do, and then we can talk about anything more specific if you want. But... Um, Over the last 50 years, we have funded more than $330 million of research, and that has gone on to get um, NIH, National Institute of Health, funding um, for $4.1 billion more. So we fund a lot of research where it's initial research for a younger researcher, and then they can use that to get NIH funding later. So that's something that's really cool. But um, I think I even, just to jump in there, I think I even read on the website that Crohn's and Colitis Foundation is actually one of the leading supporters in funding the medical research. And so just like you're saying, those numbers you're talking about, um, they're one of the, one of the organizations behind finding a cure. Yeah, we're second, right behind the NIH, which again is the biggest in the nation for every, every research health topic. Um, so we, I'm really proud of the things that we do, and a lot of it has happened within the past 10 years when we kind of shook up the organization and started focusing on fundraising. 
I am not bashful that I'm a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. I love this cause, and I know that nobody researches things without funding. You don't solve a problem until you're able to put some money toward it. And we have so many volunteers and fundraisers and um, donors and supporters who recognize that and want to be part of it in Central Texas. And so that's primarily who I work with, our volunteers, donors, fundraisers. We have an amazing education and support staff that works on the ground to provide those, those activities and resources and things. But, but for me, as the director, I'm really focused on a lot of the funding to make all of our mission happen. Mm-hmm. And so I love our research. So, again, a lot of it really, really advanced in the last 10 years. So we, in the 90s, they found a gene for IBD, and it was researchers just thrilled, saying, we found it, and we're going to find a cure. Mm-hmm. And now we have 214 genes. Oh, wow. Was that, by really chance, was that the, the MAP gene? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a family of genes, mm-hmm. and there are, I believe, 14 genetic pathways. So that's part of it, but it's, it's even bigger and more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That's our genetics initiative. It's ongoing. It's been going for, that's kind of our oldest Mm -hmm. big initiative. And then, um, as you mentioned, the microbiome was the next one. We know, again, that there has to be a genetic component for you to have Crohn's or colitis. Mm -hmm. You have to have one of those genes. Mm -hmm. And then um, we know now that the microbiome, the gut bacteria in Crohn's and colitis patients is different. It's, it's, for lack of a better way to say it, again, I'm not a researcher, mm-hmm. you have more bad bacteria than good bacteria. And some of this research has even shown that the meconium, the very earliest poo in babies, um, mm-hmm. has even this imbalance for some of these patients. So it's, it's really fascinating, um, and I encourage people to look up more about our microbiome initiative But what really excites me is one of our newer initiatives, the Environmental Triggers Initiative, because, again, we know there's a genetic component. Mm -hmm. We know there's a microbiome component. But then for some people, both of those things can have no impact. You can have twins, even, Mm -hmm. can have the exact same genetic um, makeup and microbiome similarities, and then there's only a 50% chance that an identical twin is going to be diagnosed with Crohn's or colitis when the first one is. So what is the difference there? So we're looking at more recently um, this environmental triggers initiative is, is starting to, to explore what is that trigger, whether it's something in your body or externally or in the environment, like the literal climate of the Western countries that is making this trigger happen mm-hmm. um, because most commonly this site, this disease is diagnosed for Crohn's and colitis between 15 and 35. Mm-hmm. But there are older folks diagnosed, and unfortunately, are growing the, the patient population that's growing the fastest is patients under 18. Mm-hmm. So we really want to nail down, what is this trigger? Can we stop it? Can we change it? Can we suppress it? What is it? And so right now, we're studying stress which Mm -hmm. is anecdotally a huge trigger for a lot of people at different times of life. Um, And then viruses, because, again, just based on patient stories and patient anecdotal research, 
um, a lot of viruses maybe in younger life may have been that trigger, and, and we don't know yet. We're studying it. And then diet is one that's really fascinating because, of course, um, if your bowels are inflamed, um, is, is it caused by your diet? Or is it just that your diet and the things you're eating mm-hmm. um, contribute to your symptoms because you have inflammation? Is it a chicken or the egg situation? Right. And a lot of doctors, physicians, GI, gastroenterologists um, have for decades said it's not because of diet. Get on this medication and eat what you want. Um, <laughs> That's exactly and, what I've heard. <laughs> and we're finding... Um, in preliminary research, we're studying the difference of or the the differences between the specific carbohydrate diet and the Mediterranean diet. And again, don't ask me to get into mm-hmm. what these diets are. Um, they're they're very restrictive in different ways. The mm-hmm. SCD being more restrictive, um, but we're studying the impact on these patients, and we are finding that it is um, improving not only symptoms, but inflammation in the gut. So it's, it's really fascinating, yes. but unfortunately it's not providing like a silver bullet for every single patient that's being studied. We would love mm-hmm. to say, okay, here's a diet that you need every day for every patient, but every case is so different. And again, these are preliminary results, but it's moving forward. I mean, I, I think that, I don't want to say it's a cop-out for doctors mm-hmm. to say, that they can't answer a question about diet because there's not enough research. But that's been the, the answer from even some really, really amazing physicians that I know personally mm-hmm. have gotten involved. They're, they volunteer with the foundation, and they even themselves will just say, well, I can't give you any diet recommendations, or neither can a nutritionist on staff because there is no IBD diet. There's no research out there. So we are filling that gap and trying to move that conversation forward because it's something that every single patient is affected by, obviously. Mm -hmm. That is, it's truly such exciting research to know that this is going on. And it's, I mean, it just, it thrills me because as I kind of blurted out a minute ago, (laughs) every doctor early on that I asked, what can, can I eat something different? Can I do something? And it was just no, nothing matters. Just take this medication and eat whatever you want. Right. So it's it's really exciting to start being on the brink of this where we're recognizing there's so much that we don't know, but we're starting to recognize that there are some correlations and what came first, the chicken or the egg, we don't know, but it's it's exciting. And I'm so thrilled that this research is going on and that even if we're just in the beginning preliminary stages, it's starting. Yeah, I'm excited too. And I love that there are patients like you who, it looks like you've been kind of a human guinea pig for yourself. You're just <laughs> I have. <laughs> where you, you try this and you, if that doesn't work, then you try something else and you're really open about it. And I love that um, that you share the things that you tried and that have worked for you, recognizing that every patient is different and what mm-hmm. works for some people doesn't work for others, but being really open about your journey and your experience and the troubles that you've had <laughs> because, I mean, it's just so puzzling and mm-hmm. frustrating and 
there should be answers, and so we're working toward that. Um, I have a couple more things that I'm really excited about. Again, mm -hmm. we have over 200 research projects that are literally active right this second, so I wow. can't go into detail. Mm -hmm. um, literally way above my head for most <laughs> of them. But two that I'm really excited about, um, one is a research project. One is something that we're funding that's kind of a technology mm -hmm. issue that's under our research umbrella in general but is different. Um, but they relate because they are both related to new patients and being able to find out right at the beginning of your diagnosis, how severe your case might be. Wow. So for pediatric patients, this study called the Pediatric Risk, R-I-S-K, study was performed, and um, they developed this diagnostic tool for pediatric patients to um, provide some basic bio samples and run it through this tool that is easily, will be easily accessible for pediatric gastroenterologists and other pediatric um, medical practitioners mm -hmm. to use this tool in-house um, or at a nearby clinic to see how severe this child's case, um, this, their course might be and what the recommended treatment options are immediately. Wow. And the adult version of this is a new blood test, which is even simpler mm -hmm. um, and has the same goal in mind. Um, again, it's, both of these are still in development, not available right now. But the, the blood test for, adult, for adults is designed to um, see what your risk factors are. Are you, um, do you really have a mild case that it seems really severe right now because you're experiencing the first flare in your life? Do you really have a severe case but you're <laughs> like Stephanie, your mm -hmm. pain tolerance level might be a little higher than the <laughs> average bear? and you are feeling like you might die soon but not going to the ER. <laughs> um, I don't want to jump to conclusions. <laughs> you might have a pretty severe case, but you're downplaying it. So this blood test is, I, is designed to be able to really see how severe your case is so that the treatment that you are given right off the bat is the treatment that is right for you so that you're not being over-medicated with these really strong medications with really severe risk. Um, as a child in particular, let's put you on something milder because your case seems to be based on the, mm -hmm. the statistics that your case will be milder. Um, maybe you can just be diet controlled and hopefully by then we'll have a little more information about um, suggested diets or things to avoid. Um, so those are really, really promising, not cures, but mm -hmm. improvements because it used to be that the average IBD patient had to go through seven mm -hmm. misdiagnoses before they actually got their real diagnosis. Yeah. So um, we want to avoid that. That's years of pain until you find something that works for you. But even then, it's not a guarantee that something that works for you now is going to work for you next year or 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. um, and again, unfortunately, a lot of the medicines available right now do have very serious risks and side effects associated with them. Mm -hmm. um, so finding the right medication or treatment course or plan right away is really important. And it's, it's not a cure, but it is a step in the right direction. Yeah, that is so neat. I honestly, I had no idea that that was in the works. And I've heard IBD, Crohn's and colitis, I've heard it 
be described as a disease with a spectrum before where every case is so different that you can just... Are you there? Sorry. <laughs> I um I don't know what happened. A call was coming in and then I got confused. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> so I closed the wrong thing. Do I still have you? You're on the line still? <laughs> I'm here. Okay. So um but with Crohn's and colitis, I've heard for many years, I've heard people describe it as a, a disease on a spectrum. And so we're all so different and people can fall into very different categories. So to find out that they're actually researching and looking into a test that, all right, let's figure out where you're at and start you on this trajectory or maybe this one. That's that's pretty exciting stuff. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the stuff that you do focus on day to day and this fundraising because that's pretty much where you spend the majority of your time I believe is fundraising. For me personally that's something that I'm really passionate about again I'm not shy in saying that the more we raise the faster we'll get to a cure I truly believe that I'd mm -hmm. love to fundraise myself out of jobs I can easily <laughs> work somewhere else that I'm not as passionate about mm -hmm. if we can find a cure for IBD um not just in my lifetime, but, but soon. Yeah. So a lot of the things that I do on a day-to-day -day basis are working with our local volunteers here in Central Texas, and by that I mean San Antonio and Austin and the surrounding areas, so that whole I-35 corridor that everybody loves driving. Mm -hmm. um, this area was, uh, you can peek behind the, the infrastructure of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, but until recently, um, our closest chapters have been Houston, which I'm under the offices of the Houston chapter right now, the South Texas chapter, mm -hmm. and then Dallas. And so those are, Texas is so huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was hired with the idea that we weren't necessarily doing the best for patients by having this huge population in, in Central Texas being served from these other two offices that are hours and hours away. And so we've been developing a local volunteer network here and growing our events here over the past few years. And I am so excited to say this is probably one of the very first public um, announcements that I've been able to make with this, that starting January 1st, we are launching the Central Texas chapter of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Wow. So that's exciting. So all of the events that we have started here and continue to grow are going to just continue to grow bigger and bigger um, and add on to, hopefully, that's the idea. Mm -hmm. So um, locally, we have lots and lots of support and resources for patients. We've had a support group in San Antonio and in Austin for the past two decades, mm -hmm. and we want to continue to grow those. It's really important for, on a basic level, there are support groups across the nation. Um, Just in-person meetups and support groups? Yes, in-person meetups once a month. And so we've had that San Antonio support group for a couple decades. We've had the Austin support group for a couple decades. Same support group leaders for that long. Um, 
and then we launched a pediatric support group in Austin a couple years ago, and I would love to see more pediatric support groups in the area as we grow, looking for a San Antonio leader actively now, um, potentially growing to have another pediatric support group in Austin in the BK area mm-hmm. next year. So that's our basic goal is to provide education support. And so starting with support groups, that's going to be the thing that we always, always, always want to provide. Um, in addition to the amazing support and resources that are available online to anybody mm-hmm. living anywhere, um, because there's a really robust resource library, patient education information, recorded webinars, um, community forums, which is great for outreach when you need a mm-hmm. quicker answer than waiting till the next month support group. Um, and then beyond that, we are growing our in-person patient education events and um, professional education events that are happening in Central Texas. So mm-hmm. we've traditionally had one large um, patient education event in San Antonio that is put on by volunteer physicians. So gastroenterologists volunteer their time and mm-hmm. um, help organize this event every year. We're going to continue that and hopefully grow it. And then in Austin, we didn't have a patient education event this year. Um, we had a nursing education event focused on mm-hmm. educating nurses on, on the proper treatment courses for RBD patients and advancements and treatment for them. Um, but next year, we want to, as we grow this new chapter, provide more education events. So we're looking at three small events, starting with a, a treatment-focused event in April, um, mm-hmm. again, led by doctors talking about new advancements and questions um, directly, just really open um, for patients to ask doctors face-to-face um, maybe some of the questions that they don't always get to mm-hmm. answer or get to ask their personal doctors. Um, and then in the fall, we are looking to have an event in Austin about stress management because, again, we know that stress can be a trigger for mm-hmm. onset of disease or flare. And so focused on um, stress management and we might even do that one outside if the weather's nice and have some yoga mm-hmm. techniques and things like that. And then in the late fall in August, we'll probably have a an event focused on diet and nutrition um, with a cooking demo. And so more things like that throughout the year to provide face-to-face interaction where patients can meet other patients who are interested in these things and hopefully stick around after the event and exchange social media contacts and really just mm-hmm. build that network with more in-person events. So that's the education and support side of it. Um, we also, as you mentioned, have quite a few um, fundraisers and events like that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind if I go into those? Yes, definitely. Okay. So um, we have had our Take Steps Walk for Crohn's and Colitis is um a 10-year-old event now. We celebrated a decade of difference this year. Mm-hmm. And we have those events in San Antonio and in Austin. Austin is in May. We're going to have that one at the Long Center on May 18th next mm-hmm. year. And then San Antonio is in October, and we are setting the date for that soon. But it will likely be at Eisenhower Park once again, which has been where we've had it for the past few years. This is a really great opportunity 
to um, come out as a community and walk together and meet other patients and see corporations and Mm -hmm. sponsors that are supporting this cause. It's really a festival. It's not a race. It's not very patient-friendly. People bring their dogs and their families. Um, But we encourage people to sign up as teams, whether that's a family team or a corporate team, um, and fundraise. Again, it it is a fundraiser Mm -hmm. for the mission of the Friends and Clydes Foundation, but it's not required. There's no commitment. There's no fee. People can come Mm -hmm. just show up the day of and be surrounded by that love and support and celebration um, the day of. But we do encourage people to sign up and um, some teams get kind of competitive with each other. We have some prizes. And so um, it's just a really, really fun activity to get involved with, um, particularly for folks that maybe have never met a patient before. It's really great to see the overwhelming community Mm -hmm. support on these events. Um, So that Take Steps has been around for a decade. The other program that's kind of a marquee program that we have that's been around for a decade that's a fundraising program is called Team Challenge, Mm -hmm. which is our endurance program, and so we have a slate of events throughout 2019 that's been announced, and there's a combination. There's a hike in the Grand Canyon. There's Ironmans across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, We really, in Central Texas, focus on getting local teams together for um, some half marathons that are slated, and again, it's teams across the country, Mm -hmm. little pockets of people in different cities, train together for these events and then travel on the race weekend together and compete. And so you have that entire training season where you're bonding with those people who are doing the same thing, training for a half marathon, training for an Ironman, getting ready for that hike, so that you build up to that race weekend and Mm -hmm. you are fundraising that entire time and letting people know that this is why you're doing this extreme thing <laughs> is because you care so much about this cause. And so that really, particularly the half marathon training, builds a, a family of people who get to really know each other on a weekly basis when they're running and training, especially the people who have never run before mm-hmm. or the patients who are running themselves. It's really, really inspiring, and you're doing a really big thing for a cause that you care about. And so that's a Team Challenge program. I'm really excited because um, for the first time, Austin is one of our national team challenge destinations. So Mm -hmm. people across the country are coming to the Austin Half Marathon and 5K on February 17th next year. Wow. And so because it is so close to everybody in Central Texas, we have a huge home team, like Mm -hmm. 25, 30 people now who are training for that marathon. Wow. and there's a commitment. There is, unlike Take Steps, there's, there's a fundraising commitment for all of these races. Um, whether you stay in a hotel or not, we want to make sure that this is making a difference to the mission, and there's costs associated on the back end so for people to participate in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a pretty low um, cost minimum for the first time because it, this is a local race for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so... People sign on to raise at least $1,900. Um, and again, it's, it's usually typically higher. Last year we sent a good crew to Napa, California, and I think that wow. that 
minimum was in the 3,000s. I know that it's, it's mm-hmm. a lot higher for a Grand Canyon hike. And again, it's always associated with what the operating costs are. So it makes sense. Makes sense. Really fun group of mostly Austinites running that Austin Marathon and are having a blast training together and um, really getting to know each other and just love, love, love all the team challenge runners and all the hard work that they put in to make such a huge difference to the foundation. Um, I'm, any questions on team challenge? We have other things to No, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm constantly amazed by just the community around IBD, around Crohn's and colitis. Every time I meet someone or find someone who's willing to share their story or I meet someone at an event. It's just amazing how much support is just given automatically. It's like we're here for each other. We're learning. We're supporting. And it's such an incredible group of people and events to be in. And I did the Take Steps, as you know, for the first time this past fall. And it was just phenomenal. I loved being there, I loved that it was not a race, that <laughs> it was just a walk and walk at your leisurely, enjoyable pace. But I got to visit and I got to meet other Crohn's patients and colitis patients. And it was just, it's such a nice reminder that you're not alone. And there's so many different experiences with this disease that it's, it's just neat to be. So I encourage everyone to be a part of both of those oh, yeah. things. Absolutely. And I think something that is really overlooked is the fact that this is a really isolating disease, but it also can play tricks on your mind. There's a huge mental mm-hmm. mental side of this. And it's not just because it's isolating and you're going in a lot of pain. There is a proven connection between the gut and the brain. Yes. And so this disease can do tricky things with your mind, um, and it's no fun. And it, it really is really helpful to build a support network, whether you're not doing well or whether you're doing well, because you're going to need that support network at some point in time, mild or severe, bedridden or or mm-hmm. rocking the world, whatever you're doing, it's really important to focus on your mental health and just check in every once in a while. And it's, it's lovely to see people, again, kind of exchanging phone numbers when it's mm-hmm. two moms that are just having yeah. a tough time with their kids because they're on steroids and are (laughs) having the side effects of steroids. So, I mean, there's just so many instances where having that backup support network, whether it's other patients or your family or whatever, just build it up in advance because at some point you're likely going to need it. And that goes for most people in general. Yes. But (laughs) IBD patients in particular. And so getting involved in these events is not just about fundraising to make a difference. It's about meeting other people who care about this cause because at some point they're going to need you or you're going to need them in life. And so I love seeing these connections being made. I love being the one to sometimes make those connections. It just (laughs) fills my heart. Um, And so some of those events like Take Steps and Team Challenge are just ongoing. Every, Every year we have multiple Team Challenge opportunities um, and then Take Steps, again, as an annual event, and it just keeps growing. But we have committees behind Take Steps. We have mm-hmm. committees behind these other events, and those committee members also see each other on an even more regular basis and get to know each other and are building bonds. And so um, committee might sound like a boring word, but we have really <laughs> fun 
committee meetings and from people who who work even harder than the, those that show up on race or, or walk day or whatever, mm-hmm. um, who are working all year long to make a difference, to make this event, whatever it is, um, really impactful and meaningful. And those volunteers um, really do all the heavy lifting. And I just love so many of them. And, and again, we have a lot of fun, and they... They build a lot of bonds. So that's wonderful. Open call for volunteers. Yes, <laughs> all the time. I'll put some links um, in the show notes for <laughs> where yeah. people can reach out. But um, so some of our other events are: we have um, in Austin, we have a launched a new. It's called Spin for Crohn's and Colitis Cures, mm-hmm. and it is a stationary spin bike event, and we call it a party on a bike because it's really mm-hmm. high energy. And again, it is a fundraising event. People sign up in teams of four and shoot for a minimum of that team to raise a thousand dollars or more. But it's a pretty pretty quick um, turnaround because that, that breaks down to about two hundred and fifty dollars a person, and that's achievable for most people to yeah. fundraise. And you can make a difference, but um, you don't have to have a long training season or a long mm-hmm. fundraising season. You come together, you you do that fundraising, and you have a really fun event day, party on a bike, and so that right now is just in Austin in Central Texas, and that'll be in December, probably during IBD Awareness Week in 2019, Mm -hmm. and again, we're building that committee for that event, too, really fun group, super high energy, I didn't want to leave, it was so much fun, (laughs) Um, and then we are growing our special events, right now we have one special event in all of Central Texas, it's our Swing for a Cure golf and tennis tournament and for the past couple of years we've held it at the Barracks Ranch Golf and Country Club and it really just started from two women who are really great friends and held a tennis tournament that raised almost $20,000 right wow. off the bat and we said hey I bet we could turn this into something really big and they turned it into a golf and tennis tournament that raised $100,000 in wow. the first year so it's just a huge testimony to the fact that a small group of people can make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So um, that event has really blown up, and it's a really big deal every fall. It's likely going to be in September again in that Hill Country area. Um, and it's hundreds of people playing golf and tennis and coming together for dinner afterwards um, with a silent love auction. So it's got a that fundraiser feel, but it's a really fun casual event as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love, love, love to see more events like that throughout Central Texas. Yeah. I mean, if we can party and have everybody support <laughs> the cause that I love, let's do it. That'd be um, awesome. So, love to see something like that in Austin in the future, more, more throughout Central Texas. Mm-hmm. If you are a volunteer that loves to plan parties and get um, sponsors involved, mm-hmm. this is the that's, place. <laughs> um, something that I could definitely see growing because those are not only fundraisers but it provides again you have a room of people who are coming together and you see other people who care about this cause and want to make a difference and um it builds awareness it's just so important for us to have these face-to-face opportunities it does now do the different local chapters throughout the u.s are there certain programs that are that are common to all the local chapters because it sounds like some of these things are pretty unique to Central and South Texas that we've kind of created here, but some of these are national events. So does each chapter get its own 
kind of leeway to decide how they're going to fundraise? Yeah, that's a great question. So almost every chapter across the country has a Take Steps walk, at least mm-hmm. one. Like I said, in Central Texas, we have two. Um, chapters across the country, anybody, anywhere can do Team Challenge, but the more people you have locally participating, the more likely you are to have a training group that builds those bonds, like I said. Mm-hmm. But really, anybody can do Team Challenge anywhere. And, and beyond that, if you don't want to fundraise those huge amounts for a national team challenge race. We have what's called Race in Orange, where you can go down the street and do the local turkey trot or sauté uh-huh. or whatever that you were planning to do anyway and get a fundraising link assigned to you. And and wherever you are, just do that race for the Crohn's and Clients Foundation and fundraise for that. Oh, that's pretty neat. I mean, that, that little race down the street. So those are things that are nationwide, every chapter offers. Um, but then when you get into these galas or, or golf tournament, it's different in every chapter. We definitely have leeway to start or mm-hmm. create whatever special event um, come down the line. And it's all really, really volunteer. But like I said, mm-hmm. it's done by committee. It's not really me doing these things. It's people coming together and saying, we... we care about Crohn's and colitis so much, but we also love golf and tennis. So <laughs> let's mm-hmm. put those things together and make a fundraiser. So when I say that we would love to launch something in Austin, we're going to need a, a really great crew of volunteers who care about Crohn's and colitis and want to make a difference in that particular way mm-hmm. and, and work really hard to make something like that happen. Um, so the SPIN 4 Crohn's and colitis Cures event is not in every chapter, but there are, I believe, over 20 across the country now mm-hmm. that happen every fall um, annually. And support groups you'll find in every single market. And even mm-hmm. where there isn't a chapter, there are lots of support groups that pop up because those are also volunteer-led. Um, Good. I'm trying to think if I'm leaving anything out. What has been the, I'm wondering, now that you've been at the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation for a few years, what's been the one activity or program that you have found that patients have really found beneficial? So my favorite, and I think the, the one that goes the deepest for a lot of people that participate, is our Camp Oasis program, mm-hmm. which is our camp for kids, the summer camp, sleepaway summer camp for kids with Crohn's or colitis. And that is huge because a lot of kids don't, especially if you're that middle school age and you're, you mm-hmm. don't want to seem different at all, um, a lot of kids don't open up about their disease until they come to camp. And then they meet these lifelong friends and they can be completely open about what they're facing. We have a full medical staff that um, not only is there at the site but checks them in before they even leave their hometown to mm-hmm. make sure that the meds that they're taking are correct and bagged correctly and every single dose is right and if it's refrigerated. I mean, these kids go through so much. And so we provide the right background of medical staff to be able to let them have a completely fun and safe week in the summer altogether. And I love it when I hear p- parents saying that this, their kid just can't wait until the camp next Aww. year. Um and then conversely, it's really important when I hear that um, maybe some issues have been opened up 
mm-hmm. by a child at camp because, again, we have mental health professionals there as well, and they're able to nip those in the bud before they become even more serious. If, if it hadn't arisen at camp, who knows when it would have bubbled up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just so important that kids have an outlet and can connect and find others. And mm-hmm. it's relatively small. We've had about 85 kids last year at the Texas camp. Mm-hmm. Camp Oasis of Texas is in Bruceville, Texas, which is northwest of Austin by about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but we send kids from across Texas. And it's just the absolute favorite thing that I do or that we do that um, that I love. That it's just so important. And like I said, unfortunately, um, this is a growing patient population. Under 18 mm-hmm. is our fastest growing patient population. And it's so heartbreaking to meet three, four, five-year-olds yeah. who have been diagnosed. So to know that we have this really great program that, makes such a huge difference in the lives of kids is really precious and important to me. And again, I'm not shy about asking for money. (laughs) It's so important. And I'm not the one providing that fun activity for them or convincing a kid with an ostomy to get in the pool for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not there on the ground, but Mm -hmm. I can work with these amazing volunteers who help to make that incredible experience possible you know Mm -hmm. and what do the kids do there is it purely a fun like a traditional summer camp or is it partly educational for the kids too or is this really just an escape it is a mix but it's more on the fun side they Mm -hmm. have horseback riding swimming archery all those traditional fun summer camp things um but there is a, a portion about making sure that they can communicate about their disease and learn but in a in a safe and fun environment, so mm-hmm. it's not like let's sit down and take notes on a PowerPoint right. about like our patient education events are. Um, it's very much geared toward kids and provided by um, the counselors there, who are all pretty much for, for Texas. I believe this is true that every single counselor has been a child. Or, or a camper at Camp Oasis in the past. And oh, wow. They're volunteering their time to be there now. So um, they've been through it, they're patients themselves, and they help provide the fun facilitation of that, that education for them. That's great. I imagine that for a lot of the kids, it's probably the first time they get to go somewhere and actually feel like they're a kid. Yeah, so important. Well, where can people go and learn more about the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation and maybe look into their own local chapters if they're not here in South Texas? Yeah, so you want to go to our website. It's the, the very first place you should go, especially if you're newly diagnosed. Don't just go to Google. <laughs> you can go down an Internet rabbit yes. hole that will just <laughs> put you in doom and gloom. Go to the the website for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. So it's just Crohn'sColitisFoundation.org. Um, even if you type in CCSA.org, our old name, it'll take you to the right place. Mm-hmm. And we have such a robust website. There's lots and lots of resources. Um, but there's a, a page for finding the local chapter near you. And again, as of January 1st, there will be a Central Texas chapter page. So um, you don't have to go through the South Texas page to find our Central Texas resources. So that's exciting for me. That is. Um, but I really do hope that 
again, don't just open up to, to the doom and gloom of the Internet because there have been so many advances in the past few years that if you're just reading something on the Internet from a patient telling their sad, sad story from a decade ago, that will likely not be your experience as a newly diagnosed patient. And that is a huge point of pride for the foundation and advancement and um, the field of gastroenterology has improved so much. So mm -hmm. I, I really encourage people to just go straight to our resources. Reach out to me directly. I have my phone number on the website. I have my email. I'm available. I want to, I, I'll do like I did with you, Stephanie. Mm -hmm. I want to have coffee and <laughs> learn about everything here and see if we can connect them to something that they need or that they can get involved with the foundation and make a difference with, you know? Yes, that's so wonderful. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on and cover that I may have left off today? Um, I just want to echo what you said, that um, even if you're not really involved and you don't get involved with the foundation or you're not, you're not ready to run a marathon for, for this cause. Mm -hmm. I want patients out there to know that um, we recognize that, that there are limitations and you might be better than they're going through things in life or whatever. Whether you're involved with the foundation or not, we want patients to know that this organization exists to fight for them. We have your back. There are hundreds of thousands of people involved with this foundation across the country and the world that are fighting for a cure and are not giving up and I would love for you to get involved. But regardless of whether you are or can or want to, we're going to keep fighting. Perfect words. Nothing, nothing better than that. Well, this has been a truly wonderful conversation. And I think every time I talk to you, I learn something new and I get more and more excited about the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. I, I feel like it's the first time that I'm recognizing that there's actually a cheerleader in our corner here that, that we, can, we can take on Crohn's and Colitis and we are on the brink of discoveries. So this is truly exciting. And thank you so much for talking with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's hard for me to keep up. Like I said, there's just so many advancements. It's just <laughs> amazing. So um, check in often, and I would love to, to connect with you again. And if anybody has any questions, again, I'm in Central Texas, but we have chapters across the nation um, and always, always open for volunteer opportunities and involvement. Um, just reach out. We're here. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member, that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at crohn'sfitnessfood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at crohn'sfitnessfood, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.crohn'sfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.